Hello and welcome to Mortgage Insider from Barclays, the podcast series for mortgage brokers. I'm Phil Spencer. You may know me from a certain TV property programme. What you might not know is that I trained as a surveyor and launched and ran one of the UK's first ever property search companies. In this series, I'll be using my experience to get to the heart of the biggest issues in mortgage broking. You'll hear from industry leaders, brokers, as well as Barclays' own in-house experts. We'll share insight and expertise to help you navigate the challenges, the changes and the opportunities that lie ahead for intermediaries in 2023. Buying a house is widely regarded as one of life's most stressful events, and there have been various government schemes and proposals to try and improve the process, including the suggestion of a property passport. But I'm afraid for buyers and sellers, the process remains complicated, costly and lengthy. And in this episode, we're going to have a look at why that is. We're going to hear from an estate agent, a mortgage broker and a conveyancing solicitor to give us their takes on it. And I'm very grateful today to be joined on the pod by Suman Daly, Head of Conveyancing at Shoesmith Solicitors, Tom Jackson, Managing Director of Mortgage Advisors, Cooper Associates, and by Peter May, Managing Director of Estate Agency, Location, Location. Peter, I don't, you should have you should have really had the third location. <laughs> then, then we could be friends, but, but never mind. Now, we, we've got a lot to cover um, on this topic, so I, I wanted, if we could, to kind of jump in with the big, big question. What, what I've thought that we would do is because I'm so pleased to have all three disciplines um, who are involved in the transaction on on the podcast at the same time. I I thought we're going to break it down into the three different sections. But if I could just start with with a rather open question and ask for a minute or two from each of you on on, in your view, um, why does it actually take so long and, and, and so much pain? Um, when buying a house, can I start with you, Peter? You're, you're the kind of um, at the sharp end of it as as an estate agent. Why, in your opinion, does it take so long? Yeah, thank you. For me, there's a there's a few reasons. Uh, firstly, the level of what we'd call open chains that we deal with year on year. An open chain for us is a seller who's asked us to sell their property, and they're looking to purchase another. Um, quite frequently, we'll sell their property pretty quickly. Certainly, given market conditions at the moment, but they then struggle to find a related purchase moving forward. It means that we're unable to execute an exchange completion until they're sorted with their onward move. Separately, uh, the amount of people who are involved in a property transaction, you have a buyer, seller, two sets of solicitors, broker, lender, agent, number of valuers, surveyors, etc. All working at different timeframes. Third for me is sellers not being in a, what we call sale ready position before they get to markets so and not having their documents in place, their lease available, solicitor appointed, etc. can always cause delays at the start of the sale. Um, and the last and most obvious one for me is how the process is managed at the point that a sale is agreed to then get to an exchange of contracts. Yeah. So there's a lot that comes down to kind of preparation and education, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Tom, can I come to you next? Why does it take so long from, from, from your end, the broking side of things? So I think we've got 
more complications in a, a client's mortgage process now, whether that be property-related complications, personal complications post-COVID, um, and the requirement for documentation is larger than what it has been several years ago. Um, I think actually... Is that kind of compliance? Do yeah, whether it be... Things, yeah. Absolutely, whether proof of deposits, proof yeah. of savings, earnings, income... Um, and self-employed applicants. I think self-employed applicants have got a bigger challenge in terms of case presentation for obtaining a mortgage. So I think the, the complexities in that, especially post-COVID, are a little bit more challenging. Um, but I think what Peter just covered was extremely thorough. I think there's there's a lot of components in it. Um, the The role of a mortgage broker on paper is to get it to mortgage offer. Um, and actually application to offer is quite a quick process, typically a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks. Um, but the responsibility about that handholding is something that we personally take on on board ourselves to try and hold mm. a client's hand through the whole process <laughs> up to completion. Tom, I think you're passing the buck there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from, from, from reading between the lines, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot for the customer to do at the beginning in terms of preparation. You can actually do your job helping them with the advice and, and filling out the forms and the application relatively quickly. But then, of course, you throw it to the lender who isn't here today to represent themselves, but they've got to go through all of their bits. And Suman, how about you? Just interested in your thoughts generally about why it takes so long now. Okay, so if we're going to talk about why does it take so long, I guess we're referring to a golden age when it didn't take that long. But in all the years that I've been doing conveyancing, timing has always been a key topic of debate. Um, but I guess it's all relative. And yes, over time, average timescales have become longer. And I can see how this is all rather confusing for everybody now because technology has been our saviour and brought through so many time save, so much time saving that we can buy goods and not have any human intervention have them delivered in less than 24 hours so how can it possibly be that buying a house in this day and age takes for three to five months um, which by the way it takes longer to buy a car and from personal experience it takes longer to buy a sofa and um, but I guess car dealers and sofa shops have their own industry discussions around that uh, but I do think we need to gain some perspective here around the hysteria around conveyancing timings it is an issue and those of us involved in this business need it to be quicker because it's not commercially viable for it to be so slow and it the more importantly it doesn't lend to a good customer experience um, so let's be clear this is not a consumer transaction it's a legal process so we need to focus on not who is slowing it down but rather to understand what is slowing it down um, but the world has evolved in recent years and it's now riddled with complexity. So we've got, we mentioned earlier, so we've got legal complexities um, with title registers being so old and historic that they don't make sense in the modern world. We've got lenders who won't, can't agree on one lending criteria anymore. We may recall we have the um, CML handbook, now the UK Finance Handbook, which was brought in to gain some level of consistency across, the, across lenders. Um, but now, unfortunately that is not as consistent as it used to be um, stamp duty oh yeah but, but the thing is all these little things over a course of many years has just built up and built up and built up and the event and everything's just taking a little bit longer and there's more to do stamp duty is a classic case in point in the golden age it was one percent everybody knew what it was you know and now we 
it didn't take up any time and now we have tech companies who will work it all out for us we've got variable rates we've got variable reliefs um, um, we've got risk and compliance which um, again <laughs> you know are checking ID cybercrime <laughs> but I think I think it's important to, to understand yeah. what's changed you know cash yeah. is no longer king it's the enemy um, we've got complex people are complex people's lives are complex they have trusts you know, whereas before they just bought the house. Um, the government want more new first-time buyers to get onto the market, so we have shared ownership. So all of the above has added and grown over time, and it all involves additional work. And it's not the exception, unfortunately, now. It's the rule. I almost wish I hadn't asked the question now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like kind of tooth plaque, isn't it? You, you don't it's really... It's built over it time. It just builds up over time. Exactly. You don't really notice it's there until you start to unpack it like Suman just did and you think crikey no wonder it takes such a long time goodness but I guess the buck lies with us really doesn't it we're, we're pro- everyone's probably not saying it but the elephant in the room is everyone thinks it's the conveyances who are slowing it down well you conveyancing you've got a very very important job to do Peter in a nutshell the, the, the process of, of buying and selling via estate agents, do you think it functions well in today's age? And, and I ask that with the kind of background, estate agency as a kind of model was conceived a great many years ago. And it was, it was, it was, it was drawn up by the people who owned property, uh, therefore had something to sell. That's, and that's why the estate agents traditionally only acted for the seller. But does it stand up to today? Well, surprisingly, I'm going to say yes, it does. Um, I think what really needs to be looked at is how a sale is agreed between a a buyer and a seller. So how granular do we get with the conditions that are included, the timeframes that we're working towards, the expectations that the seller has or that the buyer has, anything that needs to be disclosed at the very outset of the sale being agreed because it's crucial that we are as completely open as and transparent as possible at that stage. Yeah, when you say we, it's actually everybody. It's the buyer, the seller, the agent. Everybody's got to be really open. Absolutely. Yeah. Is what we're trying to achieve realistic? And if it is, what are the conditions around that agreement to set ourselves up best to work the sale but you know, from a sale agreed to an exchange of contracts? So I think... We need to really be very comprehensive at that point with our due diligence and get right into the detail of the sale that's being agreed. And then I think we need to also look at how the process between the offer being agreed and an exchange of contracts contract, sorry, is, is managed. You know, it's a generalization, but I've worked in a number of different agencies across my career. I have lots of friends and acquaintances within the industry as well. And typically an agency setup is that the person who's agreed the sale then manages the sale from agreed to exchange of contracts. That's a really antiquated way of doing things because you're essentially asking somebody who has something totally different in their job description to then find the time to progress that sale between agreed to exchange of contracts in between their viewings, client calls, prospecting for new business, all these other things that they're supposed to be doing. I see. I see exactly what you mean, and specialism is a good thing. However, the flip side um, of that is that it is that person who's put that deal together and knows the parties involved, and has built that relationship. I agree with that, 
But I challenge you to say that somebody else could manage that better. I, I think that a dedicated sales progression person or team within a business is a really valuable department. You know, communication or past relationship with a client can be passed over or handed over to another department or another team. You could make an introductory call as part of a sales progression team you know, to introduce yourself and just go over the reason for move and notes and relationship, et cetera. But, but then it should, I think, be a, a dedicated person or dedicated team who oversee that process between agreed to exchange contracts. That's the kind of system within within an estate agency business, but the, the model of the way that we, that we buy and sell, do, do you think it functions? No. Or does it, it, was that a no? It's a no. It's a no. And what about regulation of, of the estate agency world? It, it amazes me that it's not regulated. What, what's your take on it? I, I totally agree. I think there there is no regulation there is no qualification that you need to become an estate agent and you are handling most people's biggest transaction in their in their life it's extremely stressful it's extremely emotional and as suman's outlined it's extremely complex at times so there should be a standardization of training or at least an entry level um, exam or qualification to get into the industry i think thank you very much um peter tom can I come to you on on the um, the, the process of uh, applying and securing a mortgage? Do you think we are where we need to be, or is there more that could be done? I think there's definitely more that could be done. I think uh, we've seen a huge adoption of technology, driven by what took place 2020, going into a into lockdown. Obviously, Peter in a state agency world had to adapt, but. The, the advancements that were introduced for technology made strides in how quick we could actually do business and how quickly we could help clients. Um, so I think technology introduction would, needs to still improve. There needs to be more integration. I think the biggest challenge we've got about technology is standardization, that a lot of what we opt to introduce for technology is off-a-shelf product, and there's a lot of products available and I think the world that we are now, there's not one piece of technology that everybody is trying to use to make the process better, whether that be uh, client portals for document sharing. That's something in theory that we could share with Peter and with Suman. Um, that we might ha- we might have the technology, but they might have a different version of the technology doing yes. it separately. And I think it's that principle of are we are we backing. VHS or DVD or there's so many potential options everyone's choosing different ones if there was one that was the industry leader that would be great for uniting us all so on the one hand technology has enabled you to make your business more efficient deliver a better service but at the same time actually technology in some instances is actually holding you up because you need it to move on so just as an example the the collection of documentation a client would need to submit or to secure a mortgage. An increased number of clients are comfortable with dealing with ourselves and other parties remotely, but the the, the way in which we can obtain those documents off a client, we have technology perhaps, but they don't have access to an iPad or to a, a computer or things like that. So I think it, it's fine that, that individuals have it, but like I said a minute ago, kind of everybody needs access to it to make it to make it really seamless and efficient. Um, and I think the other part of it is the client preparation. So 
the understanding of what they they actually need. Understanding, I mean, and that's actually something that Peter said, and, and I'm absolutely certain that Suman will will echo that. But yeah, the, the understanding of the process, the education of the yeah. process, buying a house, getting a mortgage, doing a conveyancing—it's not something that people do very frequently. Even if you've done it five times in your life, which is actually quite a lot, yeah. you're not experienced at it. Not nearly yeah. as experienced as, as as your broker, your agent, or your conveyancer. So it is education. It's how do we learn? I mean, you, you learn by doing it, but it's a rather important process to learn on the job, isn't it? So, unfortunately, none of us will learn your job <laughs> uh, because you, you train for many, many years. Um, but how does conveyancing work in this country at the moment? Does this system of what are effectively non-binding offers, is that still suitable, appropriate? No, I I think that's the biggest problem of all. I think clients go into this with so much nervousness because they don't have any certainty and they have no assurances that that deal's actually going to happen. And um, and I think that that to me is the biggest problem of all. Um, I mean, we can compare ourselves with other countries, but I think every country has an issue um, because um, I, I don't think anybody's got got the perfect solution. Um, and um, but, but we can look at. I, th- I think the process between conveyances does actually the pro- if we take the process and take the personalities out, the process between uh, does work well, surprisingly well. I do think there needs to be more certainty around um, once you've put an offer in. For me, in terms of the education piece, I don't think everybody needs to understand what it is that conveyances do. But what they do need to understand is that it, it's a highly complex process. And what they and I think what I would say, the other thing that I think is broken is the lack of collaboration and mutual respect between all the people involved in the transaction. So if we can all agree and work together and collaborate and we're all singing off the same hymn sheet and saying the same thing, then I think that will solve no end of problems. The problem is we're all saying different things and the client then gets even more confused. Yes. But you're also representing different parties involved in that process. Which... We. Yeah. We are exactly. And so, I mean, we're acting for the consumer and we're acting for the buyer or the seller. And uh, and sometimes we ha- we know things that we can't share with other people. <laughs> Not all intermediaries can know everything. Um, if the client doesn't have the money, they don't really want the estate agent to know that there's a delay. They don't really want the, bro- the broker to know because they're trying to arrange a mortgage and we're caught in the middle of all of this. So there's things like that that go on occasionally. But I think, nevertheless, if there's clear if there's good relations between all the intermediaries we can then project manage that deal successfully through to the end but it's when we don't have that relationship working that things start to go wrong Mm. we're all pushing in the same direction aren't we let me ask that who should be responsible for improving the system because we are all we're all you know we're all in it together and we're all complaining about it together but who at the end of the day there's not going to be a silver bullet to, to kind of fix things. But what is the solution? How how else? Is it a government issue? We personally have the, associate, the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries. I believe there's association bodies for estate agents and I think conveyancing association for Suman. I think it's at that level that there needs to be some, that working together discovery phase to understand how can it, 
how can it be improved? Um, you know, we can discuss things and do things and we could implement something as three businesses here to make us work well together. But the next transaction has a different estate agent involved or a different solicitor or a different broker. I think in answer to your question, though, Phil, um, I think those that support the conveyancing profession and perhaps other professions, they really need to understand what the immediate priorities are. Um, and they need to engage with the profession um, before making decisions and taking that feedback if they really want to make progressive change. Yeah. Peter, any thoughts from you finally? I think so. I think I, I agree with Tom that we can find a better way of working together um, to improve a client's experience, for mm-hmm. sure, a more holistic overview of the, the journey from sale agreed to exchange of contracts. Yeah. I think. I think secondly... Um, gaining some commitment at the point that the offer is agreed um, would certainly benefit both the buyer and the seller. Could be mm. by way of a mutual deposit to lock in the sale. Yeah, um, there's been chats about that, hasn't there? There has, and there's companies which are now offering that as a service. Um, it's just getting buy-in from both seller and and buyer. Um, I think some people like the option that they can back out at any point before exchange, um, but but that weeds yeah. out inefficiencies anyway. So yeah. You know, well, then you... the fact is, the, the longer it takes, the greater, and, the, and, and as you said at the beginning, the numbers have changed. The, the longer it takes, the more numbers of people involved. The, the, life happens, and, and the greater the chances that something, somebody's life will change on the, on the way through, and then the whole thing collapses. Uh, and there are millions, if not, well, hundreds of millions of pounds actually get spent on aborted transactions, which not, it doesn't do any of us any good. Um, listen, it is a, a very complicated um, thing, but we are all pushing in the same direction. So let's hope it all speeds up. Thank you very much for your time. That was Suman Daly of Shoesmiths, Thomas Jackson of Cooper Associates, and Peter May of Location Location. The views expressed by external guests in this podcast are their opinions only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Barclays. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Insider. I'm Phil Spencer, and this has been a Fresh Air production for Barclays. Please rate, review, and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.